This is the Session 6 Sport Performance Podcast, powered by Weight Endurance. I'm your host, Cody Waite, sitting here with my co-host... Kathy Waite. <laughs> Kathy Waite. Um, and we are here with Episode 2 of our podcast. Um, our first episode that we did last week was just like a intro on who we are. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can um, go find Episode 1. Uh, but episode two here, we want to um, delve into more of our training philosophy. And before we do that, actually, I'll take a step back and say that you know the our goals and intentions with this podcast is to provide some additional background information and training information pertaining specifically to our base builder training program that we provide to um, endurance athletes, cyclists in general, or, or triathletes looking to improve their, the cycling leg of their um, training. And our uh, we, we host a uh, base builder training program every winter um, or off-season, and that's sort of the intention of this podcast is to talk about the different topics and training components of that. But before we get into our base builder program that begins in the end of uh, August... Uh, we want to just touch a, on a little bit of our um, training philosophy, just to, number one, give us a little bit of practice, honestly, to, in, in recording these podcasts, but also to give a little more background on, um, you know, kind of our overall training concept and training philosophy. So um, so today's episode, episode two, um, we want to touch on what is this six in the session six, um, which are basically our six components that we've found over the years um, coaching athletes and running our training facility in Lakewood, Colorado, that uh, we've kind of compiled these six elements or six components of fitness that uh, will kind of maximize an athlete, essentially. So um, we want to talk about those. This this episode, episode two, is going to hone in specifically on the first three elements, and then we'll come back with episode three uh, next week that we'll have uh, the second three um, kind of components four through six. So, um, so, um, so what are the yeah. first? What are the f- first six elements? Are the the six elements? Yeah. So the, the, about? the the six elements we'll lay them out there. So um, to to kind of maximize your performance as an endurance athlete, um, number one is actually the aerobic conditioning. That's the most obvious one. I mean, in endurance sports, your aerobic fitness is is kind of paramount. Um, number two is muscular strength, um, developing basically kind of strength training essentially, and we'll get more into that here shortly. Um, number three is skill proficiency, uh, which is essentially being um, skillful at your sport. Um, in this case, we'll talk specifically about cycling, but for the triathletes out there, um, we all know swimming is extremely skillful and actually running is quite skillful as well. Um, yeah. So those first three principles are more of the doing part of being an endurance athlete. Yes, exactly. So they're so kind what of what do the we do? What do we do for training? Right. And then the next episode we do will be about the four, five, and six, and that's um, well, you can list them in a second, but I think of those as more as like the secret sauce to becoming a successful endurance athlete. It's like behind the scenes. Yeah, in between things. your training sessions. So um, number four is diet and nutrition. Number five is stress management, which is um, kind of everything from recovery modalities, but also just managing your life and your training together and balancing the stresses involved with that. And then number six is the mental side or mental fitness or psychology of, of 
I guess, sort of organizing your overall training, setting goals, things like that, but also like getting like yourself tackling the race. Yeah, up itself. for racing. Exactly. Right. And how to push through mental barriers and, you know, knowing that racing often is very uncomfortable and if not painful and being able to kind of manage that and deal with that. So those are the six elements. Um, and like Kathy just mentioned, the first three that which we're going to talk about today are the actual like training component or, or on bike um, uh, modalities, I suppose. So that's like the aerobic fitness, the muscular strength and your skill proficiency are all on, done on the bike or doing the sport. Then the net, the second three, four, four, five, and six, are those in between training sessions, um, off of the bike or off of the, out of the pool or whatever the case may and be. And I think often what distinguishes between an average athlete or someone who maybe races at an average level and doesn't meet the potential, and then someone who goes above and beyond maybe their training on race day because they've taken care of the things in the background. They've yes. managed their stress. They've eaten well. They've slept and they have prepared mentally for a race. So we're, we get excited to talk about those um, parts of, of racing as well. But today we get to talk about what do you do to get fit? So why don't we start at the top with aerobic conditioning? Cause I know that phrase can be confusing for some people. Um, at first when you hear it, you just think like long, slow runs or bike rides. So what does it mean? Yeah. Um, so aerobic conditioning in in this context is basically everything from the short, powerful end of things with sprinting all the way kind of across the spectrum to, yeah, like the long, slow distance um, training. So it's essentially all of your on-bike training comprises and builds your aerobic fitness or your aerobic conditioning. Um and it's very much a spectrum um, from, you know, from literally sprinting, you know, giving it your full full effort for a handful of seconds all the way to riding a, a six or more hour long endurance ride um, in there. So I like to break down aerobic conditioning into two pieces, kind of that endurance and speed. Thinking about how I think of these as endurance is that ability to maintain your pace um, being able to go the distance, so to speak, and then speed is being able to actually create that pace or, you know, how quickly are you able to, to move? So um, quite often in endurance sports, you know, the, the winner, the person who crosses the line first or to get your best time is the person that slows down the least. Mm -hmm. um, you know, quite often, you know, you'll start a race, everyone around you is going basically the same speed, um, but the person that then slows down the least is oftentimes ultimately the, the winner on the day. So, um, endurance is speed, I should say, is creating that pace. And then your endurance allows you to maintain that pace or at least minimize the slowdown over the so course. So how does that, um, the concept of your, your fast twitch muscle guy or slow twitch muscle guy factored into that? Cause I know you get asked those questions all the time about, well, I'm more of an endurance person or I'm more of a speed person. Right. And how um, does that fit into that concept? Yeah, that's a good question because we do, with the athletes we coach in-house, um, yeah, we see all types. So there's, I mean, you've probably, many people have heard of, you know, fast twitch, slow twitch muscle fibers and, um, you know, I, 
you know, we are born with a certain amount of each. And, you know, some people are born more as like that powerful strength speed athlete with maybe more fast twitch fibers. And then there's the other people that are like the, the tortoise that's like can go all day and slow and steady wins the race kind of thing with more slow twitch fibers. Um, but, uh, you know, as humans, we, we all have both types of muscle fibers or all types of mu- muscle fibers. And it's about kind of taking what we are inherently born with and through training kind of, um, you know, maximizing imp- the potential. Of yeah. Those. Improving our weaknesses, whatever we're sort of short in and then, yeah, maintaining and maximizing what we're given, um, to, to make us the best athlete mm-hmm. possible. Um, so aerobic conditioning or the training on aerobic conditioning is what will, you know, Im- improve all levels. I suppose. So do you think that's why some people enjoy a certain type of workout better because that's what they're suited for, like a long, slow ride, or they love the sprints on the bike? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all know that we tend to gravitate towards the workouts that we're good at, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a good sprinter or a good anaerobic power athlete, you love like the short powerful intervals and vice versa if you're more of the the freight train you know you like the the six hour rides in the mountains at a you know moderate pace so um so a good coach or a good program will address all parts of the spectrum of aerobic conditioning so that the athlete becomes a more well-rounded endurance athlete by the end of the training season absolutely yeah you nailed it i mean it's important for, for any individual, regardless of if you're a strength speed athlete or, a, or an endurance athlete, that you train all of those energy systems in that, in the, you know, in that aerobic conditioning kind of spectrum to improve your ability. And it'll come at different times of the year. That's the whole concept of periodized training, which we'll get into later in some future podcast episodes. And, you know, depending on what you train when and you know, when do you do the various, um, train the various energy systems? And it sort of depends on what you're focusing for. If you're a cyclocross guy and you, and your, your goal races are in the fall, that's going to be different than the person aiming for a, a May race for like marathon nationals. For oh example. yeah, absolutely. And that is fun to talk about. And we'll talk more about like training plans for the year in right. another podcast. Uh, yeah, and then what, some more interesting things on aerobic conditioning is that, you know, you'll hear people talk about energy systems and, you know, exactly what are those and how do you train those and, you know, to tackle aerobic conditioning over the course of a season, um, you know, like like we've just mentioned, you know, you want to hit all of these different energy systems in different times of the year and very, depending on your periodization schedule and everything, but, you know, the way I like to look at the the aerobic conditioning scale is you start at the sharp end, which is like the sprint effort. Um, that's like your highest intensity. If you were just going to sprint, you know, for three, four, five seconds, that kind of near max power. And then down the scale, you move down through anaerobic power energy system, which is kind of that one to four minute um, type of maximum effort. Um, and then you move down through a VO2 max energy system. Um, which is more that eight to 16 minute sustainable, you know, max power. Um, and then into an anaerobic threshold or also known as like lactate threshold, which is sort of that 30 minute to an hour duration. And then you keep moving down into, um, aerobic threshold, which is like your, let's say two hour sustainable power. And then onwards into like the longer four plus hour endurance energy system. So, 
to really train the aerobic system and improve your aerobic conditioning, you want to hit all of those, all six of those energy systems within various periods of the year um, in your training program as you build up to races. And like you said earlier, it very much depends on, you know, when you do and how much you do of the various energy systems based on what you're training for. So someone training for criterium racing is going to have a little bit or quite a bit different program than someone, say, training for Dirty Kanza or Leadville 100, you know, like an ultra endurance kind of thing. And then, um, you know, someone, all the, most other events kind of fit somewhere in between those two, you know, the hour long race compared to the, you know, seven plus hour race durations. All right. Let's go back just a little bit because you listed all of those types of workouts really quickly. And for some people, that terminology will make complete sense and they they frequently toss around those terms in conversations with people that they train, with whom they train or their coach. But for some people, those concepts might be newer. Um, so maybe it would be helpful if you would go back and just give an example of a workout you would do yourself for each of those or you would assign to one of the kids on our team. Sure. Um, let's start at the what I would call the low end, like the endurance end. So um, an endurance workout, I mean, it's probably the easiest to understand. It's, you know, let's say it's a four-hour, a coach might prescribe go ride for four hours at, you know, zone one, zone two, um, or just that, you know, low heart rate, very... Conversational pace. Yeah, conversation, easy paced ride. And um, in doing so, you know, you're you're doing a lot of benefit, Um in you know developing like mitochondria and capillary density and all of the ability to you know deliver oxygen to the working muscles and um, definitely training the slow twitch muscle fibers and improving your carbohydrate storage capability and utilization and all of these types of benefits of just riding easy but over long periods of time um, and you know long is dependent on the athlete you know how much experience they have, you know, for some people, a three or four hour ride might be pushing the limits where other people might need a, a six hour ride to get, uh, more of the benefits. But, um, that would be kind of like the, I guess, like, um, the starting point. And then okay. you'd move up the What's ladder the up into like an aerobic threshold workout. So this is, um, kind of like a tempo workout is, is sort of a classic terminology in the cycling world, but just keeping it, um, you know, kind of like it's it's a moderate effort. Um, you can break these into longer intervals of, you know, a classic one might be three times 30 minutes um, or even f up to four times 30 minutes at like your two-hour power um, level. Um, and we uh, do these inside of the, on the trainer as well. What What's a classic one we'll do? Inside, we won't usually do quite that long. We might do... Um, uh, four times 15 minutes at maybe like that two hour power level. And sometimes uh, we alternate standing for the first 15 minutes for more of an aerobic. Oh yeah. There's all kinds of ways you can do like um, bigger gear. Power. Yeah. Lower cadence, yeah, I like those strength workouts. emphasized ones. You can do more of a smaller gear, higher cadence for more of like a, uh, like aerobic emphasis, um, <clears throat> and doing those. But those are just like those long sustained, um, uh, really training like you're, you're utilizing fat for fuel at faster paces or higher intensities and um, building up, you know, very much a usable aerobic endurance capability. Um, What's the next one up there? So the next one up would be the anaerobic threshold. So not to be confused with aerobic, aerobic thresholds where you're on that balance of 
kind of more or less right at that 50-50 point in terms of using carbohydrates and fat for fuel. Now we're tipping beyond that when we get into that anaerobic threshold and definitely using more carbs for fuel, although still using some fat. Um, and a lot of people also um, use the term lactate threshold as well um, when, when we're dealing with this is kind of that classic zone four. Um, so again, a classic workout is maybe three times 20 minutes at your hour power um, or four times 15 minutes or um, even... You know, you can go down to eight-minute intervals, maybe doing four or six times eight minutes at, you know, some some power level between your 30-minute and 60-minute power. So, um, you know, ones we do outside in the summer with the kids on our We Devo team, because um, we have we live near Green Mountain in Lakewood, Colorado, and there's a great fire road that's about a mile long. It actually takes more like 12 minutes or so to get up, um, but we'll do eight-minute intervals up this fire road. So we might do four times eight minutes around that 30 minute power, 32 minute power, um, which is a, a very tough workout. Especially with the sun shining. Yeah. It's always zero <laughs> shade. So it's right. always a tough one, but, um, these are, these are tough work workouts for sure. Yeah. Those are good ones though. They're really effective. Um, the hardest part with the kids is keeping them or holding them back a little bit so they don't burn out in the first one. Oh, yeah. So it's like, right. go to that tree and do not go past it. <laughs> the yeah. first one. Yeah, it's a tough one because it's easy to go too hard. They're, they're not terribly long intervals, but they're long enough, and it's easy to go too hard. So, yeah, there's a lot of pacing involved. And we'll definitely touch on these later yeah, on for sure. um, in our podcast episodes when we get to these in our Base Builder program. Um, and then moving up in intensity... From there, you get to the VO2 max energy system. So now we're training um, kind of that 8 to 16-minute max power. Um, so these will break into intervals as short as maybe 2 minutes um, and as long as 4 minutes and doing multiple rounds or sets of these. So, um, you know, these are the ones that you definitely get a lot of bang for your buck. I really like doing these on a, on a trainer um, because they're – for one, they're short enough so you can stay focused and go really hard. Um, it's kind of what I training. think of as a classic trainer workout. It is kind of probably the most. Yeah, yeah you're sweaty. Classic. Everyone's kind of moaning during the recovery time. Yeah. Well, they're, they're short enough that you're, you are going very hard, but they're short enough that, yeah, they're over soon yeah, enough and you get a lot of recovery right, exactly. in between and all that. And you're counting down, okay, we've done two, six more. Right. <laughs> we've done four. We're halfway done. <laughs> Um, and these can be great outside as well um, if you're using a power meter outside. Um, and then the next energy system kind of moving up the ladder or up the scale is the anaerobic power. So now we're talking max power capability of like one to four minutes. Um, so these might be intervals as short as 15 seconds uh, and maybe as long as a minute um, is typically how we'll prescribe these. And... Um, very powerful, but pretty short. I mean, if the intervals themselves are 15 to 60 seconds long, um, and you'll work up to, you know, doing several of them, um, you get quite a bit of rest in between as well. So they're, they're definitely high power, you know, these can be really fun in a trainer in a group setting as well, or like outside with our Wee Devo kids, they feel kind of fun and competitive with each other. And that workout goes pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, these are a workout to me that's a high intensity workout that you actually enjoy um because you get to go hard but there's enough rest in between the intervals yeah they're fun as um, a group 
And, um, and then the last kind of step in the ladder on the bike is, um, kind of the, it's basically your, what we call peak power, which is essentially a sprint workout. So you'll do, you know, anywhere from a five to 20 second long, um, on the long side of, uh, kind of maximum power essentially, or sprint power on those. And those can again be done indoors or outdoors and they're, they're fun and, um, you know, good for that. And then. Not to get off topic, but or actually just maybe a good segue into our next component of muscular strength. But those were the on-bike energy systems in the scale. And then once you hit that five-second kind of peak power sprint, the next energy system up then becomes basically plyometric training and then eventually strength or weight lifting um, to kind of move down that ladder of, um, of conditioning. So they're all interconnected to that. That's one thing I wanted to mention here is that you know, if you're, let's say you're training your anaerobic power with these, you know, 30 second intervals and you are improving your fitness on that end, you are at the same time improving your your fitness on your aerobic threshold end and vice versa. If you're training your aerobic threshold, it they're all connected. So your, your sprint power will actually, will improve. Maybe not as much as if you focus specifically on sprinting, but they all are improved. So... It's something I see, I get a lot of questions from people in our trainer class that's like, well, you know, I'm training for the Leadville 100 and we're doing, why are we doing all these anaerobic power intervals? Because, you know, I'm probably not going to touch on that energy system very much, if at all, within, you know, this eight hour, hundred mile mountain bike race. And it's, you know, it's, it, it is sort of counterintuitive if you first look at it that like, if I'm just going to ride this long, steady pace for my A event why am I training so intensely? And it's like, you know, I have to remind people that all these energy systems are interconnected. And if you improve one end of the scale, let's say the high intensity end of the scale, the low intensity end also improves. Um, and you kind of have to hit each one of these energy systems to balance all of them out and kind of maximize all of them. And that's why also why, you know, we might, a Leadville athlete who's racing in August might be doing anaerobic power intervals or training high intensity stuff earlier, like in the spring. And then as they get closer to their event, start training down the scale um, or down the ladder of intensity as they move towards their goal event. Um, but I think training the different parts of the aerobic conditioning spectrum reduces the training fatigue, the boredom factor. Oh, absolutely. You, you get to look forward to different style of work, different types of workouts. If you were always just doing long, slow workouts, I think you'd start dreading being on the bike. Yeah. But and when you, plateau yeah. Too. And when you know you can go mix it up that today I'm going to go over to Green Mountain, climb up the fire road, or I'm going to go to lookout and do six by five minutes, standing, sitting, standing, sitting. It, it just makes training more fun. And that's what it's all about in the long run. Definitely. And that's exactly one of the reasons why, how our, base builder progressions kind of came to be and how we, we we train in very much in that sense of like block training where we'll focus on one specific energy system for two or three or four weeks, depending on the length of your total program, and then move on to the next one just for that reason, because it's like you, you kind of get your gains out of that one energy system. And then you get to a point where one, you're 
the gains start to slow down, but also it starts to get a little bored or, you know, you're ready for like the next challenge, whether that be a longer interval at a little lower intensity or maybe a shorter intervals at higher intensity, whatever the case may be, um, and keeping that variability yeah. in there. Well, speaking of keeping the variety, we've gotten more and more into strength training over the past couple of years. So let's move in into that part of it. Yeah. So number two on our, uh, out of our six is that muscular strength component, um, <clears throat> And this is something that um, we've become very big proponents on probably, what, in the last five, five years, years yeah. six years? Yeah. And did you strength train when you were a young pro rider out in San Diego? Uh, I did. I've always done some strength training ever since I was about 17 or so is when I kind of got into strength training. Um, and I worked at a fitness center and kind of got to learn how to do that. Um, but the funny thing is, is I only did it probably for maybe two months, eight weeks, 10 weeks out of the year. And it was always like kind of the end of my season came. Um, and this is like through late teens and early twenties. And it was like, you know, do a little strength build in, in the quote off season or transition period. And then it's kind of while you're doing a little less biking. And then by November, or certainly by December, it was time to like start riding, you know, putting in the miles. And then I dropped the strength training and was a strength training um, kind of low weight, a lot of reps? That were, were you afraid to do heavy weights and hurt yourself? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, from my memory, it was just like, yeah, go and do, you know, two or three sets of 15 to 20 reps of whatever it may have been. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was, there definitely was no heavy weightlifting. It was like, you know, kind of just basic um, strength training. And, you know, I, I definitely think it, had benefits, but I feel like, especially looking back now, it's like whatever benefits I gained over those eight or 10 weeks that I did it were lost within eight or 10 weeks of not doing it. So by, by the time February rolled around, it was almost as if I hadn't lifted weight. So looking back, it's like, well, what was really the point? You know, I think there were some residual benefits in doing it, um, over the years, but I think, yeah, in the last five or six years, we've gotten much more into it and making it very much a year-round right. part of our program and those that were, were coaching and training um, a year-round or at the very least like eight months of the year. Uh, we encourage all our athletes doing our training with us to do it year-round, um, but we don't offer our strength program at our gym through the summer months, um, and so I have a feeling some of them kind of lose a little bit of touch. But, right, that's okay too. But even a couple months break, you, you regain it fairly quickly. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. I mean, there's a lot to be gained from strength training, you know, weightlifting, um, you know, improved force application. So basically the goal of strength training is to improve how much force you can apply to the pedals um, because force times speed, which is our cadence, is what equals power on the bike. So the harder we can push on the pedals, um, in theory, the more power we can produce. Um, there's or also... Pull. Or pull on the pedals. Or pull on the pedals. Um just the, the muscle recruitment, um, just think of it as, you know, using more of the muscles you have. I mean, the strength training we prescribe is not to actually gain more muscle or grow bigger muscles and become bodybuilders. Um, as a cyclist, we want to actually kind of be as small as we can be. Um, but using training our muscles or, or recruiting more of the muscles that we already have is kind of a number one goal of the strength training. Um, another one is really to minimize losing any muscles that we have. So as we get older, um, 
you know, muscle is the first thing to kind of go. You know, we our bodies are pretty good at holding on to our aerobic fitness well into our 70s and 80s. But, you know, by the time we hit 50, if not sooner, we're, we're starting to lose good chunks of our muscular strength. So if you can maintain strength training, you'll uh, minimize that loss and hang on to more of your muscle. Um, other things are... Um, you know, if you improve your force, like I mentioned before, you're essentially raising that power curve ceiling. So going back to the aerobic conditioning scale of energy systems, and I mentioned that sprinting was the last one on the bike, and then then you have to get off the bike and do plyometrics and, and moving heavy objects, basically, like your one rep max and so forth. So if you can raise your one rep max in theory, that will actually trickle down the whole energy system chain and improve your endurance capabilities as well um, for many reasons. So if you can improve your strength, improve your force production, you're essentially improving all of your on-bike aerobic energy systems as well. Um, it's also doing things hormonally inside when you lift weights. Um, it kind of stimulates the anabolic hormones. Um, due to kind of using more uh, of your muscle fibers, growing those muscle fibers, um, which is great because as endurance athletes, you know, we're involved in a very catabolic activity, meaning it's breaking down our muscles. It's making us essentially smaller, losing muscle mass with endurance training. So lifting weights will help kind of offset that and um, kind of keep our hormones in balance as well. Um, and then other things like improving range of motion, um, I mean, I know I get a kick out of every year, you know, when we onboard athletes, adults and our junior athletes that, you know, day one is like, let's see you, you know, do a body weight squat and the things we get to see are pretty, pretty funny. Right. I mean, Especially with the kids, they have very tight muscles from growing so rapidly at times. Right. And they just fall right on their butts when they try to do a squat. Yeah. It's pretty funny. They're either too tight in the lower legs or who knows where we have <laughs> noodles and we have kids that are too tight. Yeah, exactly. Um, so improving range of motion is a great benefit. And also along with that is kind of, uh, activating muscles that maybe we ignore or kind of get neglected on our bikes. Um, well, that's a great point. Cause first of all, most of our listeners will be adults who are sitting at desks working and that position of sitting at a desk all day, like shuts off muscles. Your glutes aren't firing, your back hurts. Yeah, I mean, it's killing um, The us. last thing most people are going to feel like doing is going to the gym and moving after they've been at work all day, but it's the best thing they need. It's the best thing they could do. Just go to the gym, do a good warm-up, get your core firing, do strength. You're going to always feel better when you leave. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, yeah, no question that we sit so much. I mean, what they say now, that sitting is the new smoking or something, so it's like, it's kind of the number one killer, essentially, so... And sadly, or unfortunately, it's like when we sit, we're, as cyclists, we sit on our bikes as well. And we're kind of in that closed up position that kind of exacerbates it even further. So, you know, we're sitting maybe at work a lot. We're sitting in the car a lot. We're sitting on our bikes a lot. Everything's kind of closed up and shortened. And, um, yeah, we lose a lot of muscle activation. So the strength training properly with the right movements will help kind of offset that. Um, and improving range of motion and muscle activation just helps helps offset all those imbalances that can lead to things not working right and potential injury and whatnot. And then I'd say the, you know, the kind of the last big one is it, it strength training just improves our overall durability as well. So, um, that could be in the form of, you know, 
when the day comes that you come off your bike, meaning you crash, you know, if you strength train, there's a much higher chance that you'll get back up, dust yourself off and be able to walk away from it rather than, you know, have break something. Um, whether it be a collarbone or a wrist or whatever, um, it just improves that durability, but then also kind of from a muscular durability standpoint as well. I mean, myself anecdotally, um, Several, well, in 2015, I had a herniated disc um, that set me out for a few months. And um, that's when I really decided, like, I'm going to, like, just make strength training, like, priority one, really, um, in my training and really get that going, get me back on the training wagon. And um, since being consistent year-round with the strength training, um, you know, I no longer have any back pain and it's pretty pretty wild I mean not even like back fatigue riding my bike and we're growing up even at 18 years old riding my bike it was very common where you'd have to do the you know you stand up and kind of arch your back within the ride you know to kind of stretch out like a tight back and now here I am at 40 years old and I don't have to do that um anymore ever which is pretty crazy I mean it just sort of struck me in the last this this season in fact like I haven't had one issue of like getting off the bike or even while being on the bike and having like a sore back. And I think that's contributed mainly to the strength training that we do. Yeah. And my, my history with why I need uh, strength training and my feelings around it are, it's a little bit different than yours. My, (laughs) my body is hypermobile. All my joints are kind of crazy and loose. I have had a spinal fusion, which if you heard our first podcast, I touched on that a little bit. Uh, it was about 10 years ago. I have an L4 down to S1 spinal fusion. Um, and so I desperately need uh, multiple sessions of core work, Pilates, strength sessions during the week, or my body's just not going to function right. Yeah, you um, work hard at that for sure. So I, I've loved it. I've loved feeling like stronger, more durable, less mobile, which is not what most people need to say, but my joints are kind of staying together better. And... Um, I do fall off my bike, but I don't hurt myself as often as I used to because I'm not kind of jiggling around and being jostled so much. Um, so I love it. I, and I think it's really good for me on those days where my body feels uncomfortable. Like, oh, I don't feel like myself. I feel off. I feel stiff. And I actually always feel better after I've done a strength training session. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. I would agree. Um, I mean, even to the point now where along that note is like after a long day in the car driving back from a race let's say you race you know sunday and you drive home you know the next first thing i want to do monday morning is do a strength training session to kind of like correct all the imbalances that basically occurred from sitting in the car after racing and like you said it's yeah. like you finish feeling better it's like a ther- like a physical therapy session almost and yeah, you don't like, always feel like it so you'll go out to the garage or the gym and maybe just look at everything for a few minutes. Right. <laughs> but just get going, get your core work done. Yeah. And then you'll feel better. It just kind of helps your whole body like realign and And we'll even do this on our 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 travels. Um we stop at rec centers along the way. Uh we I we've been to the Flagstaff Rec Center, the Cortez, Moab. Cortez. yeah, Moab. <laughs> Um, not only do you get a good workout, then you can shower if you've been camping and you get a two for one. Yeah, that's definitely too. Yeah. When we drive around doing our training camps in the winter to Arizona and whatnot. Yeah. We, we have been to quite a few we have. rec centers. And then when we drove, yeah, we were in Michigan, Oklahoma, I think. Oklahoma. And we went to yeah. One. We'll just stop and hit whatever 
city's rec center and do a 45 minute gym workout yeah in a shower and we're good um and it does make things a lot better um well i'll say one more thing too like i remember trying to strength train was when i was in college i had no idea what i was doing i walked into lifetime fitness in indianapolis i kind of wandered around the gym picked up a few weights probably did a few machines looked at the weird guys pumping their biceps and felt so awkward and stupid (laughs) Um, so if you feel that way, you're not alone. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, so getting on a program like ours or another one in your area is really helpful. Someone can walk you through what does an hour session look like? How do you do those core moves? Why should, why should you do core moves? What's the benefit of doing push-pull if you're a cyclist? And how, how do you do a deadlift? And isn't that scary for your back? But working with somebody, somebody that knows what they're doing um, and can watch your form or you can watch videos online is, is so beneficial. Don't, so my point is don't be afraid of strength training. You, you may have no background, no knowledge of how to do it, or you may have heard horror stories of people throwing their backs out. But we believe that a strength program will actually make your back stronger, will make you stronger and more durable on the bike and more efficient in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And to not make this too big of a commercial, but we do have um, training plans available, um, downloadable through training peaks that, uh, we created that is exactly what we do in our training sessions at session six. And it's a pretty cool program. It's very progressive. There's some different durations. Um, they're great in the off season to build that strength. And there's a maintenance, uh, protocol that you do kind of in season and then it addresses all, all of those factors. And it has, you go to our YouTube channel and you can see all the movements that either Kathy or I are demonstrating, um, and it's a pretty cool program and we've got a lot of great feedback over the last couple of years having, having put, put it together of people, you know, just seeing a lot of gains and, and feeling better and stronger and more powerful on the bike, which is pretty cool. Um, so you can find that at, um, on training peaks. Um, if you just search my name, Cody Waite, or go to our website, endurance.session6.com, um, and under the training plan section has the strength, um, options there. Um, so I think from there, let's move on to uh, number three, which is that skill prof- proficiency. Um, so number three out of our six elements of kind of maximizing your performance. Um, skill proficiency is um, probably one of the areas where many people, it's like they know they need to improve their skills, but they just don't know how to go about it or for whatever reason, they might feel self-conscious about doing drills or various things. Um, and it's one of those things that like you're, if you're not working on improving your skills, um, pedaling the bike, uh, handling the bike, um, those sorts of things, you're just leaving a lot on the table in terms of, um, performance. Yeah. This is one of the areas that I need the most work in because I learned to, to ride a bike when I was 35 and, um, yeah, I got pretty fit, and I could outclimb most of the ladies in the race up the hill, but then they would usually fly by me on the descents. So it's a work in progress for me, um, for sure. And it's fun though. You just don't don't be embarrassed. Just go get in a clinic. Go work with somebody. Uh, go with a friend, and just keep trying. So you'll you'll feel more comfortable on your bike. Yeah. Yeah. And there's kind of two sides to this. So one is kind of the mechanical skills of pedaling a bike, um, or for the triathletes out there, the mechanical skills of swimming and running as well. Um, and then there's kind of like the uh, 
handling skills, I suppose, is the, like the other side of it for sticking with bikes. So um, the mechanical side of things, we're talking about like the ability to pedal various cadences. That's probably number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we focus on heavily in our base builder trainer program. We just incorporate various cadence drills within the warm-ups and warm-downs of, of every workout. Um, and being able to the skill of being able to pedal with very little resistance at very high cadences and then also be able to pedal um, low cadences with um, a lot of resistance on the other end and being able to kind of pedal all cadences in between is very valuable in that um, mechanical efficiency um, because you can take two two riders with maybe with the same exact um, sort of power capabilities, okay? So let's say watts per kilogram, and the one rider that is more mechanically efficient is going to ride away from the one that is less, even though they're technically the same, you know, watts per kilogram and all that kind of thing. If you're more efficient, you're putting more of the energy that you're putting into the pedals into helping you move forward as opposed to wasting it, whether it be a too much movement in the upper body or your hips not being stable enough, which ties back into strength training. Um, or, you know, if you're rocking back and forth or, you know, all these types of things that that's sort of that mechanical side of skill proficiency. So a lot of that comes with just riding your bike more, but if you can include pedaling drills, um, like various cadence drills, our ILTs, isolated leg training, which is kind of the staple first several weeks of our, uh, trainers, um, program every year, which is the pedaling with one leg. Um, and doing various, you know, high cadence, low resistance, and high resistance, low cadence, and whatnot with a single leg really helps Im- improve that as well. Um, and we'll talk more about that stuff in future podcasts. But um, improving one's mechanical efficiency on the bike just allows you to tap into and use more of your aerobic conditioning, aerobic fitness, to make you go forward faster rather than losing that out through unnecessary movements and inefficiencies. Um, I feel like I was so lucky that I got to learn to be a cyclist by being in your class. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, kudos to my husband. But, you know, you you put me on a bike when we first started dating in 2008, and, oh, I think you can do this. And then I jumped into the trainer program that, that first winter. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what cadence meant. I didn't know what a one-legged drill right, was. Right. But because I learned the right way, I feel like I was really lucky. Like, I learned to go at a higher cadence. And so I wasn't a grinder right from the start. Yeah. I didn't have to unlearn some bad habits. Well, I was lucky, I guess, to get you so fresh and raw in sight as a cyclist because you just sort of took to those drills. Because I, I find it very funny when we get a more experienced cyclist that comes and does our trainer class with us. And, you know, we have them, you know, our classic warm-up drill is a spin-up, which is you have the rider get in the, the easiest gear, so very, very little resistance. We're talking like 30, 40, maybe 50 watts at the most. Very light. And have them pedal starting out at 100 RPM, which is no problem. And then asking them to increase their RPM by 5 every 30 seconds, let's say. And getting them upwards of you know 120, 125, 130 RPMs and so on. And they'll always be like this. They'll come. They'll tell me like this. Just, just the... Well, actually, let me take a step back. What they'll do first is they'll start yes. shifting down to. Yes, I was going to say that part. A bigger. They won't gear. even obey the rule and yeah. begin the easiest because gear. they'll start. It'll start feeling so wonky and their butts bouncing. Yeah, everywhere. they're kind of bouncing a little, and and so they'll just automatically want to shift to a bigger gear to kind of help them smooth out. 
And then I have to walk over to them and kind of tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, hey, you know, Tom, let's uh, get back in that easy gear. And they're like, well, that it feels so hard and like inefficient. And it's like, exactly. We've identified a weakness in you where you are losing efficiency here. So let's get out, of, you know, Go back to embrace your easy, the discomfort, yeah. embrace right? Embrace the... The, the awkwardness. The awkwardness. Yeah. Get back to your easy gear. Let's try it again. Yeah, and we'll try it again and ramp it up. And, and, you know, week one, it's like they'll start bouncing and losing all kinds of efficiency at 110 RPM. But then six weeks later, they're pedaling extremely smooth and fluidly at 135 RPM. And they can just sit there and hold that for minutes on end if needed. And that right away, just you see it and they feel it, you know, that efficiency improvement over a relatively short period of time. And it's not that we're ever going to really spend lots of time pedaling at 130 RPMs outside or in a race situation, but having that muscular efficiency and skillfulness to do that trickles down into all the other cadences and power levels and everything that it just makes you more efficient at pedaling your bike. And it's really cool. It's, it's something that a lot of, especially experienced cyclists, tend to not like it at first because it makes them feel like an inexperienced cyclist, but... Once they kind of get it, it just like opens their eyes and they become even better. Even when they thought like they've been doing this a while and they're not going to get that much better, they suddenly become quite a bit better. And that's always kind of cool. So, um, so that's good stuff. And obviously in our, within our training programs, um, that we offer up and we'll touch more on that stuff in more detail too, if you want to learn more about that and try it on your own. Um, and so Let's transition then to the second part of the skill, which is that bike handling. Right, which I referred to before. Right. So, I'm awkward at still. So that this is more obvious, you know. Um, it's very, well, both Kathy and I fall into this boat. We're very good aerobically and strength-wise on the bike, but if we're going to get beaten in a race, it's usually in the, the downhill, so the technical stuff. But it's probably a weakness of both of ours. Um, so improving one's bike handling skills, turning, braking, cornering, all those sorts of things, um, whether it be for mountain biking where it's very obvious, but even road biking, it's important. Cyclocross. Cyclocross, very, very important. Um, all these sorts of things. So th- that's, these are the skills that are a little more difficult, I think, to improve on, on your own. So like Kathy mentioned, if you can find like a skills coach in the area, um, if you're the type that can kind of read a book or watch videos and try to implement things. Um, but it's one of those things where to generally you're outside having to do this. It's sort of, emba- you know, maybe embarrassing or whatever, but, um, you know, unless you were fortunate to learn as a kid how to do this right, stuff. Right. I'll give a little shout out to Lee McCormick in Boulder. Hey yeah. Lee, if you're, if you're listening, um, he, he puts on some great clinics. I just went up last Tuesday night to Belmont Park for a cornering specific clinic. Uh, well, it was for cyclocross, <clears throat> but I figured that for any bike discipline, I needed to learn better cornering skills. I do plan on trying my hand at cyclocross as well, but it was awesome. We did drills that, yeah, I haven't been doing on my own, but now I know I could just go find a parking lot and go in circles both directions and practice this and that and this and that. Um, The beauty of being at Valmont Park is we got to go play on the flow and the pump track and we were on our cross bikes, but you can certainly do it on a mountain bike as well. Um, And just practicing being comfortable you know, being heavy, being light, turning, leaning, all those things that will end up making you a better cyclist. Yeah, absolutely. So I would definitely encourage checking uh, com out if you're looking for some uh, kind of bike handling stuff. I think he's uh, got some videos up there. I know he has a great book, um, Mastering Mountain Bike Skills, I think it's called. 
Um, and both Kathy and I have worked with him over the years on um, improving our own bike handling skills. But uh, well, another thing you can do is just go find a, a flow track or a pump track yeah, near you. Like if out. you're in the Denver area, you can go to Ruby Hill over more in East Denver. You can go to the Golden Bike Park or you can go up to, to Boulder to Valmont Park. And I, most cities do have an option like that. And you, it can be embarrassing if there's some awesome kids there who are like laughing at you. But <laughs> don't worry about them. Just... Focus on what you're doing and, you know, maybe stay there 30 minutes and, and yeah. you'll actually be more tired than you think. The pumping and especially the pumping is really exhausting. Yeah, the pump it's track's It's a full really body workout. Yeah, those are really fun. In fact, if you wear your heart rate monitor or pump track, you can, you know, go around and around if it's a well-designed pump track and you're fairly good at it without pedaling. And within a minute or less, you'll be, your heart rate will be, you know, upwards of, you know, 150, 160 if you're really getting into it without even pedaling the bike because there's so much upper body movement in there. I always found that kind of entertaining um, as the, the heart rate dork in me. But um, but yeah, so that's something, um, the bike handling stuff is not necessarily built into our training program, so you're more or less on your own to kind of figure that out. But um, it's definitely worth figuring out, take our words for that. Um, and, uh, you know, Working with our We Devo kids, I mean, these kids are growing up on bikes, so some of them are just unbelievable bike handlers already, and those that maybe aren't unbelievable, you can see them learning and adapting to gaining these bike skills much more quickly than adults can. They're fortunate enough That's to, incredible. to do that. Um, but uh, definitely a, a something to you know think about, and a great time to w- work on skills is actually going into kind of like the off-season or transition time of the year, where you're you know, you can spend some time on the bike, but you don't have to worry about getting in the miles or the intervals or whatever. And you can, like Kathy said, go to the bike park and play around or, um, you know, just ride your clinic. mountain bike more or take yeah. a clinic or whatever and um, get those skills kind of dialed in. So, um, so yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, so that was one through three, aerobic conditioning, muscular strength, skill proficiency and of our six. Um, our next episode, episode three, we're going to touch on four, five, and six, which again are going to be um, diet and nutrition, um, stress management, and mental fitness. And we want to just, um, we'll go through each one of those a little bit, and um, then you'll have a good understanding of kind of our overall training philosophy. And then it won't be too much further. We'll start getting into describing episode four. I think we'll start digging into like our base builder program, like overall layout, and explain, um, give you some good ideas as we head into that kind of off season, cyclocross season, but off season of mountain and road. Um, and what to do in the fall months and winter months to improve your cycling for for next year. So um, that's what's coming up. And, you know, we appreciate you listening. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Sounds good.